Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Kimber Malden. She's a nutrition consultant and a women's health coach, and she takes a somatic and trauma-informed approach to women's health. We have a fabulous conversation in this podcast because we're talking about trends in women's health. We're talking about getting the most out of your optimizing your health, but also the intersection between chronic trauma, high ACE scores, so adverse childhood event scores, and chronic illness, and why it is so crucial to understand your body, be very curious about your body to get the best results you possibly can. We go through a lot of different topics, but towards the end, gotta stay tuned, we talk about somatic therapy, we talk about functional and applied neurology and a couple of tips Kimber gives are really cool. So let's introduce you to Kimber Malden. Hey, health junkies. I have Kimber Malden on and we are going to be talking about something that is so, oh my gosh, hot topic in my world and just something that I really think we need more advocates around and it's women's health. But not only that, it's self-regulation, it's metabolic safety, and it's really thinking about ourselves as a whole and not necessarily giving our power up to other folks who are gurus and say they have this particular program or this magic lotion or potion that is going to solve all of your issues because health comes from within. So Kimber, welcome to the Health Fix podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We are going to be talking about health and women's health and why it's it's so important that we keep in mind that women are not men. We're not small men. We are definitely a creature in and of ourselves. So Kimber, you have been down a journey with Mm. the health field and it it sounds like you saw some naturopaths like me. Sounds like you, you got, you know, some insights in your health, not uncommon to, to go to the naturopaths like myself and, and get some supplements and then not really have this like reason for like, okay, we've maybe did this testing. We did these supplements and then here we are. Um, and, and still you're with your symptoms and, and you're kind of, you know, it's a, it's a trajectory that I myself became really upset with, um, how I was practicing and it's no disrespect to any naturopath. It is, it is a journey, but I do find that this is common with functional medicine, all the different alternative healthcare providers. Sometimes we end up getting all these supplements and things and not knowing why and not knowing where is this taking us and not feeling better? So give us a little background in terms of your health journey. What was going on in your 20s that led you to change, you know, your your thought process on women's health? Yeah. Um, yeah. So my health journey goes back, you know, much earlier than my 20s, obviously. Um, but my 20s was when I started to really take it seriously. And I left college my first time um, to study holistic health. And I went Initially, I went more of the like pretty extreme vegan raw food route. Mm -hmm. Um, And that didn't work for me. Like I lost my period. I lost a lot of weight. My health started to deteriorate. Like it became more and more clear how much my hormones and my whole system relies on a lot of foods that I wasn't, I wasn't eating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also was working with, I worked during my twenties. I worked with several different 
four different naturopaths. I would kind of jump around when one wouldn't really make sense. I would find a new one and I could never really stick to anything for too long. And one of the reasons was because I didn't really understand what I was doing. Like I genuinely didn't know why I was taking the supplements I was taking. Um, I didn't understand even kind of just like, I had an idea of nutrition from my studies, but they were, it was kind of superficial. So I didn't understand energy metabolism. I didn't know how to eat to keep myself stable so that even if the supplements were helping me, they would be more effective. Um, and so it took me quite a bit of time. I would say into my late twenties and into my early thirties, when I started to realize, oh, wait. And by then I already had a science degree and I had studied nutrition myself. So I was starting to apply it to myself and seeing ways that it was and wasn't working, like things that were and weren't working. And I realized, oh, wait, like you do actually need to look at women's health specifically because women respond to stress differently because women's hormones are more sensitive. Um, so a lot of the things that we're relying on for information is coming from research that, you know, is studying men's bodies mm-hmm. and just applying that to women's bodies and it's not working. And so I started to see that that was the case with me and then more and more looking at the women in my life and seeing that that was very similar with them as well. They would struggle with their health. They would, you know, not get answers from Western medicine. So go to a functional doctor, go to a naturopathic doctor they would get more, they would get more, um, efficient testing. So they would get more like clear answers around things than the Western tests they were, they're getting done, but like they weren't really getting any clear and simple practical ways to address their health themselves that made sense to them. And, and, and also like added like a deeper meaning to their process. So, you know, so they were more deeply connected to the healing process itself. They were just being given supplements similar to how doctors prescribe medications. And so, and this is now as a practitioner, having worked with women full-time for a few years now, this is, I've seen this over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. You know, women come to me and they're like, they've dropped thousands of dollars out of pocket on medical expenses and and supplements and, and, and have been on, you know, multiple cleanses or different diets and, um, still struggling with like a lot of dysregulation, a lot of metabolic disruptions and not really, again, not really having that like deeper piece of understanding what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a common thing, you know, like you're saying with the folks you've seen. And I mean, I, I will, you know, folks who are listening that maybe naturopaths, maybe see a naturopath, maybe see a functional medicine doctor. I'm not here to bash on anyone. I'm just here to kind of lay it out with something that I myself did this for probably my first couple of years of practice. And in some cases, when I get overloaded and not sure what direction to go, it'll happen too, especially when you're, you've got a patient sitting in front of you who is like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. They're, they're really upset. And you're like, I want to offer something. Right. And unfortunately that comes from our training. When you go back to it at best years where I went to, um, we actually weren't given much in terms of deep, thought process into working on the social emotional you know aspects of things also when i went when i started at best year social media wasn't what it is now and mm-hmm. and i'm 17 years and almost 18 years into practice so it's been a while but it also wasn't a, a, as much of a factor as it was back then but we weren't talking about emotions connected to how we seek out food, emotions connected to how we do certain things. So something you bring up in in your course that I found was really fascinating is you were kind of talking about medical trauma related 
to kind of your experience as well. What other things have you noticed with women who who are left confused, left, you know, having spent so much money? What kind of things do you notice in terms of their health? Does it seem to get worse? Does it seem to stay status quo? What kind of patterns have you seen happen? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely the, the medical trauma is one that I think is often there. So this there's, you know, different kinds of trauma. There's acute trauma, complex trauma, systemic trauma, um, chronic trauma. I think the chronic one is one that a lot of women deal with um, because we don't have a culture that has, you know, we often paint health in black and white. So you're either sick or you're healthy. If you don't feel well, what do you have? You know, mm-hmm. if you have symptoms, like what do you, we would pathologize a lot. Right. And there's a, there's a place for, you know, naming patterns and putting things into categories and you, you can, it can be a source of empowerment. Um, but when we pathologize too much, we end up there, you can actually have a trauma response to that alone. And so, and it, it, and it can really limit how we see ourselves and what's possible for ourselves. And so I see that a lot. I see a lot of women who have like very limited beliefs about their, their, how they function, what's possible for them, what they need to do in order to heal. Um, and then, you know, oftentimes fairly disconnected from their actual felt sense. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, this term that we use in somatics a lot. It's like, what's happening inside your body? What is the, you know, the sensory experience that you're having in your body? What's happening in your nervous, your nervous system. Um, and I think it can be really easy for us to get attached to like lab numbers and specific mechanisms, like my cholesterol, my, you know, my iron levels, my, so, and, um, inflammatory markers. And, and then we forget about how we actually feel. Yeah. And so I see that a lot. It's like a lot of women who have a lot of labs and they're very concerned about their lab numbers. But when I'm spending time with them and talking with them, it's like all of the energy is up in their head and it's not safe to actually just feel every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, the model of medicine that we've all grown up with is a way of to disconnect, give the power, you know, over to the numbers or give the power to the doc or give, you know, that it, it's something, something broken inside of me it's not my emotions. And, and it's one of the things that it, it kills me, but it also is something. And, and we'll, we'll see what you think about this, that I hear often within discussions about men versus women is, and I think this is something that we, as women kind of get um, maybe shamed for like, oh, you're so emotional. Oh, your emotions. Oh my goodness. And it's like, actually, these are the things that we've been taught to stuff down. And these are the things that are actually our alert system. So tell mm-hmm. tell us a little more about what you've learned with your somatic um, training and, and things of that nature. Tell us a little more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somatic suppression, repression, you know, disconnect is such a, it's such a prevalent issue and it, it really does affect every aspect of your health. Um, so in my applied neurology program, we talk a lot about the neurology of emotions and like where they show up in different brain regions and why they're there. And they're really important signalers, right? Like they send us signals that something, there's a threat going on, something, something needs to be addressed. We have an unmet need. Um, and so they are really important to be, they, they, it's really important that we listen to them and also that we have healthy outlets for expressing them. 
Um, and I think that those those are two problems we often have in this culture is we don't often feel them, mm-hmm. it, you know, in the time that they arise, they should be fit, felt. And then we don't have the right outlets for expressing them, for expelling them, from for relie- releasing that energy from our bodies. So what happens is they end up getting, you know, there's like a stoppage that goes on. So they end up getting repressed, suppressed, and and then they come out in our behaviors, you know, or they show up in, in, in symptoms. And in applied neurology, we talk about, it's a very neutral approach, but we talk about um, how we all operate in loops, right? Like we, the human operates in loops where we take in inputs in, so like sensory inputs and cognitive inputs, and then the brain interprets those and then they, it gives us outputs. So difficult emotions can be seen as protective outputs. It's like the way that the brain is trying to respond to a threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the bare emotion, like just an emotion that comes up, if we're freely allowed to feel it, it's not a threat. It's just information, right? But because so many of us were raised in environments where those emotions were not safe, we immediately interpret the emotion as a threat and then it, you know, it gets distorted. We end up storing it somewhere. It gets distorted. We end up behaving in a way that, you know, reflects a lack of resiliency or a lack of resources to feel that emotion. And so I see this a lot. Again, I don't work with men, so I can't really compare what men go through. Um, but I definitely see this a lot in women, like a lot of oppressed emotion, a lot of perceived negative or ugly emotion that gets turned on themselves, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of blaming themselves or feeling shame for their symptoms or for their illnesses um, because they have developed some belief along the way that, that they shouldn't, you know, that there's something wrong with them, that they shouldn't mm-hmm. have these feelings, that they, that they don't make any sense or they don't like serve society or they're not, they don't look good. Um, And so, yeah, so I feel like there's, you know, I have heard that like a pure emotion that arises passes within like 30 seconds or something. Maybe you've heard that before. Like it's a, most emotions have a really short shelf life. The problem is, is that most of us don't really, we're not embodied enough to, and and safe enough to fully feel them and express them and, and move on, you know, with, with our, with our day. And so they do end up disrupting nervous system regulation. So they end up, we end up, you know, often living in like a chronic state of dysregulation as a result of repressed emotions. And that affects our stress response, which then of course affects every metabolic function. So we end up absorbing less nutrients. We end up breathing poorly. We end up contracting a lot more often than we should. Um, And a lot of this is actually just the result of chronic repressed emotions. I think it's great you kind of went into basically all the things I said. The fascial tissue gets all contracted, you know, the the nervous system, you know, doesn't regulate well. Then now we have the, you know, cortisol, the metabolic side of things. You know, I think one of the things that folks really don't understand and and it was the topic actually today of my email that went out to my my email list is that we we all just want to plan and we want to just give some like we want someone else to tell us what to do and how to fix ourselves and you know metabolism being a hot topic and so many women thinking we can macro count our way to weight loss and and you know the different 
research that's out there in terms of keto and things of that nature. I would love for you to speak a little bit about the concept of pro-metabolic versus thinking about just metabolism as a numbers game and and things of that nature. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little more? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that like there there is a place for numbers, you know, I think there's a place for understanding macro ratios and calorie intake versus like energy expenditure in your energy intake. Um, so yeah, so there's like a usefulness to all of that. The problem is that a lot of us have been raised in this perspective of metabolism and health and um, where numbers are like the only thing that matters. And I don't think he, like my understanding is humans are not really designed to be relating to their health and to food in numbers. We can do it, but for a lot of us, it can actually de- uh, trigger neurosis and it's just not a super like he- emotionally healthy way to be relating to our health. So that's one thing. Um, I also think that the understanding of energy metabolism in this culture is either just like absent entirely, or it's just very superficial. And so when we think of metabolism, we pretty much think of like weight loss, like burning Mm -hmm. fat, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your metabolic rate, your oxidation rate is everything. So it's like, how quickly is your body using all of your resources and just understanding that like, um, everything in the body, everything that gets created in the body, every function in the body is not for free. Like energy doesn't get produced out of thin air, it requires oxygen and glucose. And then all, you know, all of our neurotransmitters or neurohormones, um, enzymes, all of these things require a resource to be produced. So we actually have to be taking in the right resources in order to produce all these things. And then we have to be all of our metabolic processes have to be running well so that we can use all of our chemicals accurately, efficiently. Um, And this is a process that goes well beyond just the numbers. And so you do actually have to be, your system has to be safe. The the threat that gets sent to your brain that uh, tends to disrupt a lot of our, both nervous system and metabolic functions, um, we need to lower that sense of threat in order for the body to, to prioritize our health and to actually be able to um, function well, but also like repair and, and heal. And so one thing that I've become a big fan of that, you know, is kind of like one of the guiding principles within this mo- pro-metabolic approach is glucose is really, really important. So like the idea that we could be, you know, on keto long-term or so we're like relying on conversions, relying on protein conversions, um, that increases the amount of work the body has to do to get basic energy to the cell, to get fuel to the cell, to produce energy. And that increases the sense of threat the brain's going to have to deal with because it's having to work overtime to get that fuel. And so like from a neurological perspective, like glucose is really, really important because we use up more glucose every time we're trying to make uh, a change in our lives. Every time we're trying to repair something, um, because the brain's predictive, it runs in loops. And so it makes all of its decisions based on its prediction of what's happened before. So if you want to change absolutely anything, like you want to heal something or create a new pattern, um, resolve some trauma, your brain's going to have to use more energy for that. And if the brain uses more energy for that, it needs more fuel in the form of glucose. And so if we're on all of these crazy diets where we're restricting glucose, you're actually giving your brain more work and you're potentially increasing that sense of threat the brain lives with every day 
um, that is, you know, disrupting your body's ability to function better and to heal, if that makes sense. Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. Having been in the industry this long, yes. You know, it's one of those things that I find that we're, we're overlooking the healing that needs to start before protocols. And unfortunately, in the industry of let's say the health and fitness industry as a whole, it's all about speed up. Let's get the protocol. Let's get results fast. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I have also found that the stress management side of things, and, and this is where I want folks to really understand that stress management doesn't mean like, you know, go meditate and be Zen for a minute and then move on. It actually means much like what you were saying, working on your body's fueling, working on how you get your nutrients in. So in terms of brain health, let's let's talk about this for a second. Do you find that most folks who are in a stress state coming into having been on keto or just restricting carbs quite a bit, have you found that more brain fog, more fatigue, more overwhelm just keeps piling up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And also like because a woman's sex hormones is so affected by stress, oftentimes women come to me and they have sex hormone disruptions. And so they, it's, you know, for them, just helping them figure out kind of the source of their issues. Cause they'll often be told to do, you know, to work on their sex hormones, which, which are actually downstream from several other things. So you do need to look first at like your, um, your energy intake, your energy utilization. Um, again, that sense of stress that you're living with every day before you can influence your sex hormones. So that's something that I've seen quite a bit is like almost like a skipping of some more foundational stuff to address the more of the symptom related stuff, mm-hmm. um, which tends to, you know, only get them so far they'll be on supplements. to try to like improve their progesterone or, you know, get their androgens down or whatever it is. And that they've been doing that for a while and it's not really getting them anywhere because there's like s- some very important steps before that, that are not being addressed first that tie in with the energy piece, with that sense of stress that they're living with every day. That's huge. And I think that's really huge for a lot of women to hear that because, you know, this day and age, like I mentioned, we want quick results, you know, someone tell me just fix it, magic wand kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and unfortunately that is not how true sustainable health works. And, and I've had to, unfortunately, let a few patients go um, over the years because they just didn't want to, you know, follow, understand that we've got some other things that, that we got to follow through on with our bodies first. So how long, you know, just to give a ballpark, because I think a lot of folks are like, all right, cool. I can buy into that. How long does it take? Is it going to be years? Because I'm sure you, as well as I um, hear a lot of folks will come in and they'll be like, I just, I just want to feel better like yesterday. So, so what do you got for me? Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a tough one. I totally yeah. get that desire to want to like, um, see results, like know that what you're doing, especially if you've been on a path for a while. So you've tried a lot of different things and you feel like, I don't really know who to trust. And I don't really know, like, you know, I'm losing faith. Um, mm-hmm. I would say like, if you're really paying attention to your nutrition, to like macro ratios, to kind of like some basics. So getting enough sleep, um, moving in a way that's healthy, that's not like under moving or over moving. Um, I would say three months, like you could actually start to see quite a bit of improvement in your health in, you know, just a few months. Um, but it's so hard to say because it's so 
individual, like where you're starting at. Like when someone comes in to work with me, um, sometimes they have been, they've never really gotten their nutrition dialed in. They've been on multiple diets, but they've never really actually gotten their enough energy or enough like protein, like women drastically under eat protein. So like some of them are just, they've never had enough, um, to actually get baseline functions down. And so their system is like constantly working in survival mode. It's never really able to repair the things it needs to repair. If that's the case, that could take some time, you know, just to get your system back to a place where it's at a baseline. You've been dealing with like hypoglycemia for years. Then you need to get your, your body to a place where it can just like store glucose, you know, and, and I'll use this example or like a, I don't know if it's a metaphor or analogy or something of like, um, if you're used to being, in debt, right? You're living with this like sense of stress that if something happens and you have no money to, you know, if you have an emergency, you have no money to back you up. And so you, you live the way you live energetically, you know, psycho-emotionally is going to be very different than if you have savings, if you have investments, if you have enough. And so what you want to do is you have to like bring yourself back to baseline, pay off your debt, and then start to build savings. And you're going to see a completely different experience in your body um, with that savings, knowing that if something happens, you can take care of yourself. So the body needs that as well. We have to bring ourselves back to a baseline and then repair what individually we need to repair. Um, and I think like one of the reasons in this last year, and this is actually applies to me personally, because, you know, running a business can be very stressful. Um, I learned that a lot of women have nervous system dysregulation and trauma that's actually like making the basic healing stuff harder. So it can take longer for those of us that have a lot of dysregulation in our bodies, maybe have like an A score, a higher A score. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, let's explain though what it is just so folks understand. Yeah. It's a, it stands for adverse child experience. And so it's um, one of the larger, more important studies, I would say that put complex trauma on the map and helps helped as a society. I mean, not everyone knows about it, but understand the link between adverse child experiences, so childhood trauma, developmental trauma, complex trauma, and your likelihood of having a complex illness or an addiction or disorder, or behavioral struggles later in life. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about 64% or something of people have at least one ACE. And if you have like, I think four ACEs or higher than your chances of having you know, having addiction, having a chronic illness, having, um, I mean, there's, it's a really interesting, uh, list of things that you can, you know, statistics that you can look at, but what I've come to realize, especially since, you know, in this last year of studying nervous system regulation and trauma work and stuff is like, oh, I have an ACE score that's fairly high. And, and so like, even though I can be really on it with my nutrition and really on it with my self-care, my nervous system is very sensitive. And so there's naturally going to be interpretations of certain inputs as a threat where someone else might have that same input and they, or their brain would not interpret it as a threat. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. I've found for women to start to get to know, to map their nervous systems, to look at their health history and their childhood to assess, like, am I living with a higher level of threat than I realized? Because that's going to affect my body's ability to heal itself. Um, and like, it's going to, it's going to fact need to be factored into my healing time. Right. Because mm -hmm. like healing is not linear. So, um, for some people, so you can move forward and still have areas where you fall or, you know, where you trip, where you get tripped up, where you, 
you know, get triggered and kind of like re repattern things that you're trying to change. Um, and a lot of that just depends on like your particular blueprint, your nervous system patterns. Great explanation. Great explanation. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, I mean, unfortunately that's their medical model, right? Like since, you know, like world war two ish time when we had the penicillin discovery, you know, and we were like, all right, you know, magic pill for everything. And unfortunately we've kind of been shifting out of the, the, the natural thought process of natural healing. And, and when I say natural healing, guys, I'm not even talking about herbs or supplements. I'm literally talking about the natural process of healing all the crap that's happened to you within your lifespan. So one of the interesting things that you brought up in your course and something that I've never talked about on the podcast that I really think we should kind of bring out to folks is, is why we don't tend to think about our aces. We don't tend to think about all the little T's and big T's we've been through in life because it's not part of the conventional medicine model that we've been wired to think. And you had mentioned something about the night in the 1900s, the American Medical Association changing their, their model. And this is something that I find so fascinating and really hard to convince a lot of folks that prior to the beginning of World War II, conventional doctors were practicing like naturopaths. Will you talk a little bit about what you found in your research and kind of the whole, how the medical model shifted and possibly why we also are where we're at right now, looking for quick fixes and things of that nature? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm, man, I haven't like looked into that topic in a while. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Most of us don't have an understanding of where we came from. And, and you know, I, my, I was raised primarily by my father and he's a, a journalist and was really big on history. So we spent a lot of time talking about history growing up. And I think having even just like recent history, a, a basic framework or understanding of our, our medical system and our approach to health can make a big difference for people because it can help them understand that like, simply because we're told that this is way the way that you approach health, this is how we do it, doesn't mean that it's necessarily working for us and that it's benefiting people in the ways that it should be, or you know, that it's the most efficient way to go about things. And so in my in my research, one of the things that came up for me was it's clear that we have a lot of incentives running our medical system that are not just about health you know there's like there's a lot of power and financial incentives that drive um a lot of the regulations and the ways that people can practice and like what gets defined as sound medicine and um yeah and i also think that like a lot of the ways that we practice medicine are geared towards emergency interventions Mm -hmm. And so, which worked for us in a time when most of what we were treating was emergency interventions. But now, since everything is chronic, we're actually just financially bankrupting, bankrupting ourselves, And like, we don't really have the tools uh, to deal with the, the health crisis that we have on our hands. And so I don't have, that's an area that I like, I don't have any answer like to me like the answer is um one thing that I do notice is that there's oftentimes for people there's a big tension between public health ideas and individual health 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that's like conversations I've had as a nutritionist. I work in the world of individual health. Like I work with individuals. I empower them to look at their own health, to make their own decisions, to think for themselves, to opt out of things that they feel are misaligned or unethical or whatever. Um, but people have these ideas of public health that can be very, very different. Right. And so, um, I think we're in a time where we need more people to look at their individual health and Mm -hmm. take a little bit more responsibility for their individual health, because the system that we're, we're relying on is so, um, ill-equipped to help us in the ways that we need help. And then is also just like incentivized to treat us for things that we don't, um, Treat, treat us for things that are, are not, is not really getting, sorry, I'm kind of struggling with, with what I'm saying. I'm like, um, <laughs> with getting, getting us where do we need to be? And, and we're kind of band-aiding. I mean, yeah, we're band-aiding. And, 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 and as far as like, again, to go back to the 1900s and the regulations, um, my understanding is like what was practiced back then, it, it, a lot of it was about power. Like it was about who gets licensed. And if someone goes through this specific training and gets licensed in this very specific way, then they can be um, practicing medicine and anyone else, you know, gets put into this specific category where it's basically like um, it's not sound medicine. It's not evidence based medicine unless you're licensed in in this particular way. And so uh, that I think that most people just don't understand their perspective on what it means to be like a licensed medical professional because it's changed so much. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've had, uh, I mean, such an evolution of, of things. And unfortunately there, there is this us versus them, you know, conventional medicine doctors versus alternative medicine providers, but also health coaches and, and things that, you know, folks that have different functional medicine certificates, things of that nature, nutritionists, et cetera. And unfortunately it kills me because it's like, man, if we all just could work together. So that's, that's my little soapbox there. Now, one of the things that you had, had brought up that, that with the ACEs, with just energy in particular, one of the things you brought up in your course that, um, guys, by the way, it's called habitually healthy. We'll, we'll get to that here in a second, but it was low energy in and of itself, just the concept of low cellular energy. And and when we think of low cellular energy, we think of us making energy in our cells. But I'm also gathering that you were also kind of alluding to energetic vibe too, based on nervous system and things of that nature. And, and so one of the things I'm curious about is when you're working on helping someone to repair their nervous system, working on ACEs, things of that nature, what kind of fun things do you have people doing with like their vagus nerve resetting? You know, what kind of somatic things are you doing? What kind of somatic therapy? What kind of general therapy like do you recommend? Just give us a scoop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot out there and the vagus nerve stuff, like I actually have a lot of access to trainings in that. Like that was part of my, there was a aspect of that in my neurosomatic trainings. And I haven't, there's so much there. I haven't really jumped down that rabbit hole all that much. It feels a bit like, um, I need to spend a lot more time on that particular thing alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the energy, so with applied neurology, for instance, you are looking at all of the different systems. So like vestibular, ocular, respiratory, proprioceptive, interoceptive, all of the different systems in the body that help the, that make the nervous system work, that help us um, every system operate. And so any, any area of your body where you feel like you're having symptoms, where you 
I help my clients kind of look at their, um, look at their larger scale pattern. So like, do you tend to default into flight? Do you tend to default into freeze? Like what you can look at those patterns throughout your life. You can look at them, you know, tied in with your earlier years. Um, And then based on that, we'll look at the systems involved in that. So like which systems tend to play the biggest roles in those specific states and how can we intervene? And then we'll do what we call neuro drills, which is like applied neurology to rehab or improve the function of the communication between the brain in that particular system. When you do that, you're lowering that sense of threat in your system. And so you're actually increasing the amount of energy that the body can use for functions that it would be otherwise allocated to um, protective outputs. I don't know if that makes sense. That's really cool. That's really cool. Can you give us an example um, of something you would do for someone in yeah, any, so, any mean, condition? Yeah. And also I'll just, I'll, I can use myself as an example because we all, we do all of this work on ourselves before we do it with clients as well. And so we'll see, you know, the most benefit we'll have to, we have to experience it within ourselves first to really understand how this works. Um, so I have disruptions in my vestibular system. So that's your inner ear and it, it's, you know, what gives you that sense of like balance what helps you. And and it also oftentimes connects to ocular. So it's like your visual and your vestibular work together. So I have uh, visual vestibular and respiratory deficits. Deficits means, you know, in applied neurology, there's a, there's a breakdown in the communication between the brain and some aspect of that system. Um, Since they work, you know, goes information gets sent from the brain to that part of your body, and then it gets sent back. That's like happening 24 seven all the time, right? The brain's tracking every part of our bodies. Everyone has deficits, even like high-end athletes have, it's just the human condition to have some kind of deficit. And so what that means is like, there's a delay or a complete disruption for that communication from the brain to that part of your body. When that happens, you have, the body has a sense of threat it's living with because there's more energy is required to make a basic communication to the body. So when you're doing these assessments, you always will assess your baseline. So you use something like you know, range of motion, spine curls. Um, sometimes we'll use, you know, it's, it's somewhat similar to muscle testing in the sense that you can actually see in real time, like how your body is responding to something. Um, and then once we have like a baseline, then we look at different drills associated with that particular system. So for me, I do bag breathing. I do um, what's called um, air hunger. So doing a lot of like external, long, slow external breaths, deep holds, that's to like slow down the amount of oxygen that we're taking into our system and pair it with more carbon dioxide, which is the carrier molecule that gets the oxygen into the cell. So like going back to the energy piece, we all rely on energy produced within the cell, but a lot of us are dealing with like low grade cellular asphyxiation because we're taking in far too much oxygen. We're over breathing mm-hmm. and we're not taking in carbon dioxide to get that oxygen into the cell. I'm one of those people. I grew up asthmatic. I tend to hold my breath when I'm anxious. So like, or I'll breathe really fast and really shallow. So training people to use these like simple techniques to increase their breathing, increase their oxygen retention or oxygen intake um, can help their system slow down. It like lowers that sense of threat, can give their system a break. So they're they're actually able to allocate resources to where it needs to go. Um, Other examples of this would be like, using, you know, like I do, um, drills with my eyes, you know, so like moving specific. And these are like, again, these are designed to, to work with your ocular system. Also like vestibular stuff you can do with 
head head motions. I mean, there's a lot of them and you can stack, once you kind of get to know someone's system, you can actually stack them to kind of help them, um, help them do things that are, they're both rehabbing. So increasing areas where there's deficits, where it's kind of a stressor for the brain with things that are actually like what they call high payoff drill drills. So doing things that, you know, you're going to get a positive response on where you're going to like increase your body's energy. Um, you can do that at the same time with an area with a, with a drill that's more challenging for the system that, you know, like a rehab drill where you need to actually rehab a certain part of the body that's dealing with a lot of energy loss. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, I know that the whole functional neurology realm is is vast and there's i mean i've seen some really cool things in folks just in some of the drills the saccades anti-saccades and 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 things of that nature so folks who are listening that's kind of the eye movement things that that kimber was talking about um are you are you with with working with people remotely are you having them do the drills for you or do they fill out also like a brain regionalization form too for you to kind of help kind of put it all together yeah um, I just actually have just started to integrate the, the applied neurology into my work. And so it's still very new in my work. Um, and right now it's integrated into the nutrition stuff. So it's people come to see me, uh, for nutrition coaching for like, you know, a more somatic approach to nutrition and health coaching. And then once they are, they're in, and I have a very thorough intake form, they fill out, I get an idea as to whether they're what we would consider top down or bottom up, which in somatics you've probably maybe you've heard those terms before top no. down bottom up. No. no so so in so so in therapy or in somatics it's a little bit of a different meaning than applied neurology um top down is like higher corticoid using cognitive faculties so that would be most things that we do in this culture like using talk therapy even meditation and mindfulness is pretty top down because you're kind of going through your your brain to focus to, you know, you're using again, those like higher corticoid functions bottom up is nervous system work. So it's using breath work. It's just really going into how you're feeling the senses, the felt sense. Um, and so somatics is bottom up. Uh, a lot of people take a top down approach. I'm starting to do both in my practice in applied neurology, bottom up and top down have a little bit of a different meaning. It basically means like, um, where does someone tend to, how does someone deal with stress? Like, are they, are if you're a bottom up person, you're someone who tends to need to move when you're stressed. You're someone that tends to have a harder time with vestibular ocular kind of like the, the functions, the, the, the systems of the nervous system that relate to those, to your, the higher parts of your body. Um, and so movement is a really big part of how you deal with your stress response and it's, and I found that it's really important to know the difference when you're working with someone, like how do they respond to stress? Do they shut down? Do they need to be really still. Do they tend to be more like quote unquote lazy, um, versus as someone like an over exerciser, does someone need to be proactive when they're dealing with an issue? Um, because when you, when you can assess that, whether a person has like a, a top down or a bottom up approach to stress, and you can kind of start to get an idea as to which systems they're overly relying on. And so most people, based on my understanding from my neuro teachers, most people are actually bottom up people. Like a lot more people are, um, use their bodies when they're stressed. That doesn't necessarily mean they're like fully embodied. They could still be very heady. They could still be like stuck in their head and disembodied, but they're using their body a lot. 
So you'll see a lot of burnout. You'll see a lot of people that are like pushing their bodies way past capacity um, because that's the only thing they know how to do when they're stressed. And so knowing that is really important because you can, you realize that when you do vestibular drills, when you do ocular drills, when you do respiratory drills, you have to include movement in order for them to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it overwhelms their system. So I, this is one thing that I've learned about myself, that it's great. You have this information when you learn it about yourself and you can start to see it more. I tend to call in clients that have some similar patterns to me, mm-hmm. not, you know, not coincidentally, I don't think. And so, um, but I see that a lot. I see clients that have very clear issues with balance, with vertigo, with headaches, like respiratory issues. Um, that so clearly a lot of the systems that I struggle with, but they also, we can't just go straight into working with those systems. We actually have to support their body and feeling safe by including movement in the, in the drills we do. And then also just like understanding that, like for a lot of those people, meditation may not be safe, like telling someone that they should sit still with their eyes closed is actually for a lot of people is a way for it's a path towards more dysregulation or, you know, trying to bypass what the nervous system needs, because if you're dealing in a, if you're dealing with a chronic flight state and you have a lot of, you know, vestibular ocular issues, keeping your eyes closed and going internal might be completely overwhelming to the system. So you might need to actually keep your eyes open or do some walking so that your body is like, Oh, I can still move. You know, I'm just not going to burn myself out when I move. Ah, no, that's huge. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And 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 it's not being taught in the, the obviously in the conventional medical world. And even in the alternative world, I don't think as many people are talking about it. I know that the applied neurology and functional neurology, you know, realms are just starting to gain traction, which I think is huge because there are cases and I'm sure there's people listening right now that they they're like I've been to all these different docs I've tried all these different protocols and my body seems to revolt against them and you know for me for years when this would happen I would think god I'm like the stupidest doc ever I can't figure out how to help this person when in reality it was just the pattern at which I was taking to help them unwind all the things mm-hmm. it's fascinating and so with this, I think for a lot of people, this right here is something that would set you apart from other folks who practice, you know, nutritional therapies, certified nutrition, you know, folks as well. And, and this is why I really wanted you to highlight that because I do think it's a great blend of of looking at nutrition, but also looking at like getting our bodies to feel safe. And and a lot of times you probably get this from a lot of folks. They're like, Kimber, I, I don't, I'm not stressed. There's nothing, my life is great. There's nothing there. And this is where I find this to be most fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, the stress, stress is an interesting one, right? Because we, you know, since it became like a word that we used, it's used a lot. So it can feel very ubiquitous, ubiquitous and kind of vague. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like we need stress to survive. Like the stress of life is real and it's not all bad, right? So like I've had people be like, isn't cortisol when they have low cortisol? And I'm like, we need to work on increasing your cortisol in certain times. And they're like, but isn't cortisol bad? And it's like, just being alive takes energy and there's stress involved in the, you know, you're, you're not, if you're not stressing, you're not growing on like multiple levels. And so, um, so we do need some stress. I think it's just that, again, most of us don't really understand kind of our basic operating system. And we're living in a world that, that is sending us constant inputs that we're not really 
considering our stressors. And so you can think that you're, you know, you can, you can assume you're not stressed, but you don't really, again, unless you approach stress in a different way and you look at it as like more of information processing, um, you may not realize how stressed you are, right? Like if you live in a city and you're really busy, you might have like, you know, perceived great life. And, but if you're really busy and you're taking in lots of information and you have too much light coming into your system late at night and you're, you know, you could actually be more stressed than you realize your baseline is just different than someone who lives in the country and, um, you know, lives a very slow life. So it's like, we have to kind of like, look at how our operating system works and then, um, look at the amount of inputs we're taking in and then how our body's interpreting those inputs. Um, and, and also potentially establish a new baseline. Like a lot of us, our baseline is just, it's, it's the stress levels are too high. Yeah. And it's something that I think, you know, you're, you're definitely hitting on, on some huge topics that go along with stress in terms of our baseline's too high. We're getting all those inputs, you know, most people have seen online, you know, the meditation, like escape, do this, do that. But like you said before, we're all different in terms of our unique ways that we can regulate ourselves and really finding that that sweet spot for each person's regulation. And where I'm going with this is really taking the model for, for healthcare for women in particular and really individualizing it is what you're doing and, mm-hmm. and as a whole. And, and taking out all of the other factors and helping women to turn within and, and really discover it. So give us a little scoop about what it's like to work with you, how long people typically work with you, your course habitually healthy. Give, give us all the breakdown there. Okay. Um, so yeah, so working with me privately, um, most of the time it's about six, three to six months depending on how much you, cause you can buy a package of sessions and then how you space them out is up to you. Um, I have clients that I've been working with for over a year. I have a few clients that I've been working with for two years. It totally depends on, you know, what your goals are, your resources, um, you know, especially as I do, as I move more into the somatics, the relational, uh, you know, applied neurology stuff, there's a lot more there. So if someone has, if a woman has the resources and the interest, she can work for me with me for longer and she can go deeper. Um, so that's, you know, available for women. Um, and then I don't do the only one-offs I offer, like the only single consults I offer are for hair tissue, mineral, hair, mineral tissue tests. Um, I find those labs to be some of the most useful labs, especially like looking at the function of the nervous system. And so decided that was like the one thing I'd be willing to offer I really, I really enjoy getting women interested in minerals. And so helping them understand how their body, their, their oxidation rate, how their body uses minerals, how it ties in with all the different systems. Um, that's a really fun thing to go into. So that's something I do offer individually. Um, and then, yeah. And then my women's health course is just like a, the idea of it, like the reason that I created it was because well, first of all, I just love to like learn. Like I feel like I'm constantly reading books and constantly understanding like how different seemingly um, disconnected areas of life or health actually do tie in with health in some way. And so the best way to do that would, the best way to, um, you know, share that would be to create a course. And it's also like a low, low energy, low investment, um, lower, lower financial investment, um, option for women who don't have the resources or the time or the interest to work privately. And so 
um, it goes into it's and it's something that I'm also like planning on updating. You know, I created it a few years ago, and that was before I've gone through I had gone through my somatic trainings, and so now I feel like I could definitely place more emphasis on the nervous system um, within the course. So that's something that if a woman signs up for it, she does have lifetime access to it, and she will get all future iterations of it, all updates. Um, and it's like a you know it's a pretty pretty in-depth course. It's a little bit, I do tend to gear it towards people who have a little bit more of an attention span because the lessons are like 15, average 15 minutes versus like, you know, five, 10 minutes, which is what I was originally told I should make um, my lessons at. And so, yeah, so it's, it's definitely, it's something I get excited about because again, it's like a place to put all of the information that I've learned um, that ties in with women's health. And I really I want women to feel empowered to get curious about their health. Like that's maybe one of the most important things is like we are raised in this culture where we do look outward for information on our health. And there's a time and a place for that. Like, you know, you're a doctor, so you understand like there is a place for expertise. There's a place for looking towards other people who have knowledge that we don't have since we're not going to, you know, we're not going to understand the world firsthand all the time. But you do want to have, you do want to, we want to practice coming back to ourselves and like forming a trust and respected relationship with our own bodies, because that is going to be the thing that actually carries us through and defines how our work goes, regardless of who we work with. Right. Sure. Sure. No, it makes sense. I mean, obviously if our leg is broken, um, turning within is not going to put your leg back together um, or, you know, ruptured appendixes and things of that nature, but we can prevent ruptured appendixes and hormone issues and things of that nature. If we learn to trust ourselves a little bit more in terms of our health, but also around food, which is a big one for, for ladies for sure. And so I, I like how you're, you're thinking, I like what you're putting together there. And I think it's really a great offering to be able to really teach women fundamentally how to take care of themselves in a way that's not biased by any guru, by any, you know, mm -hmm. fad, how to take care of yourself on your terms is what mm -hmm. I would look at it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, Folks can find you at Kimber, so K-Y-M-B-E-R, Malden, M-A-U-L-D-E-N.com. And then can they find you on social media anywhere or any other places you hang out? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram. I tend to hang out there. And um, and I, I love hearing from women too. Like if they hear my podcast, if they hear, you know, if they um, read something that I wrote, then I love getting that feedback. I love knowing how my work and my thoughts influence women and also getting, you know, requests around things that they would like to learn more about, or that's always, that like really makes my day. So that's something that I encourage as well. Awesome. So yeah. do I. The education at heart there, that is what we're here for and helping to help women navigate life just a little bit better. So Kimber, thank you so much for coming on the Health Fix podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing from you guys what you think and how, you know, what do you want to learn? How do you guys want to navigate things forward? Share it with me, share it with Kimber. Well, we will make sure to help support you in whatever you're wondering about. So thanks again for coming on. Hey health junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, 
I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to doctor spelled out J K R A U S E N D dot com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule of chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out now. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.